are you tonight? Praise God. Good. We're in Ephesians, and we're in chapter 4. I want you to get there tonight, and I'm going to read verses 20 through 24 in just a minute. We're so much in here, I can't rush through it, but we're working our way through Ephesians. We started in chapter 1. We're going to finish up in chapter 4 because I preached extensively verse by verse through chapter 5 and 6. You can get that hopefully online um, and get it in you if you want. Uh, as we know, chapter 6 talks about that spiritual armor that's so relevant for us right now. So um, just finishing up chapter 4 here, there's so much in here. So let's thank God for the word tonight. Then I'm going to read verses 20 through 24. Father, we thank you for your, your word to us and what a treasure it is, Lord, and we do treasure it. Father, tonight we thank you that in the middle of the week we can come here together as brothers and sisters in your presence and we can worship together and Holy Spirit, you move and you show up and you touch our hearts. Lord, I pray that our hearts are now prepared as good, plowed, fertile ground for the seed of the word. So Holy Spirit, drive the seed of the word in us. Let it produce fruit. Father, don't let us leave here like we came, but change us. Not by religion, not by the, the thoughts of a man, but change us by the power of your word through the Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Ephesians 4, verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Some powerful verses there tonight. Amen. Uh, talking about what we've learned in Christ in verse 20. And then 22 through 24, we're going to kind of hit, um, pull some themes out of there conceptually. We're going to look at the former way of life, the old self, renewal, uh, as in the renewal of our minds, and putting on the new self. So let's jump right into verse 20, which said, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Now remember, we're coming out of the fivefold ministry gifts here in chapter 4. Paul laid down... Uh, the gifts that are supposed to minister, we found out that they're to equip the body for works of service, amen? You're gifted for a reason because God has a unique, fulfilling assignment for you that your gifts are perfectly mated with and that is going to bring excitement to your life. Someone say amen. Well, look excited out there. Fake it if you have to, amen? But many times we get worn out and beat up and life is tough and we've got to remember we're called for a purpose, we're gifted for a purpose, and we have an assignment that'll bring excitement to our lives. Preaching excites me. Maybe no one's excited to hear me preach, but I'm going to preach anyway. And so you use your gift, amen, and let it excite you. It's what God made you for. So we're out of the fivefold ministry gifts. They're to enhance the body of Christ. We looked at some of the internal changes that need to take place in us as believers. How many understand, once you come to Christ, things change. Once you come to Jesus, everything changes, amen? Now, human nature is that we don't like change, but the changes that come from coming to Jesus are, are exciting and awesome changes, and we need to embrace them. So Paul talks about them. Verses 17. 
15 through 19 we covered last week, it talked about, compared and contrasted the way the Gentiles walk and the way a Christian is supposed to walk. And remember, we, we talked about that walk is, you know, how we live, think, act, and feel. That's our walk as Christians. And there's a difference. There's a change. We learned in 17 through 19 that there were three basic differences between where the Gentiles walk and the way a Christian should walk. Now, remember, when you hear that word Gentile, what it's saying is it's anyone who was not a Jew. Paul, being a Jew, speaking to the early church that was primarily Jewish, they understood the concept of Gentile and Jew, and it was a very stark contrast between the two of them. They didn't fellowship. The Gentiles were crazy, wild, sinful uh, people, and the Jews were set apart and called by God. They had the commandments. They had the law and the prophets. A real big contrast. So I want you to catch that here. Here's the way the Gentiles walked, and uh, that spiritual walk, how we live, think, act, and feel. The Gentiles were limited in their intellectual capacity, and they were limited to man's reason. If it made sense to them logically, if it felt good, then they would do it. They just were kind of driven by, you know, their limited intellectual capacity. It says, in the futility of their minds. Have you ever found yourself in a, a position where you followed your gut, or you followed your thoughts, or you followed the common wisdom of the day, and it led you right into the pit? Come on, that's the futility of our minds. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's what the Bible says. Then the Gentiles walked in the darkness, um, and the, the darkness was the basis for their reasoning. Look what Paul said, being darkened in their understanding. And that's us without Christ. We're in the dark, and in the dark, you know, you can't see clearly. You're kind of muddling around. You're groping to find truth. But the Gentiles were in the dark. Now, when we get saved, what? We come out of the dark into the light. Someone say amen. It's nice to have the lights on. You know, when the power goes out, do you panic for a second? What am I going to do? I might have to talk to my family. What am I going to do? My phone's not working. We, we, we like the light. We like the power that powers the things of the world. Come on. But Jesus is the light of our world as believers, and we're not in darkness anymore. The last statement that was made here in verse 19 is excluded from the life of God because of their, the ignorance that was in them. And that's a picture of us before we came to Jesus. We were ignorant. Why? Because we only had, you know, the darkness to grope through, and we only had the futility of our own reasoning to try and find truth. But God turned the lights on. He snatched us out of the muck and the mire. Amen. He brushed us off and called us his own. Man, look, look around here tonight. You guys are trophies of his grace. There's people surprised all over the place that you're saved and in church. Right? Right, Ray? What a miracle, right? He saved people like us. Snatched us out of that. What, we were futile and dark and lost and had our own way of thinking, but God changed all that. So we pick up in verse 20. And what's the point of verse 20? He, he says, but you did not learn Christ this way. He's saying in the beginning, from the foundational points, you, you learned about Jesus. And uh, there's something very important about the starting point of our faith, amen? See, it's at the starting point of our faith where the lights came on and you realized truth and the holy spirit showed you uh you know that you were lost and you were in sin and you needed a savior does anybody remember that 
I remember that day when the lights came on. I mean, and it was, it was a shocking moment for me, you know, because most of us thought we were good people and we were, you know, we were on the right track and we, we believed in God and we knew about Jesus. But when the light comes on and we see truth, wow. That starting point of our faith is very important. And he says that you did not learn Christ this way. So I want you to know the starting point of your faith is important. If you're saved, that moment when the lights came on is important. It's the foundation. You say, well, why is that so important? Because nothing spiritually solid can be built on a, on a false foundation. If the foundation's crooked, if the foundation's out of square, if the foundation dips and dives and it's all over the place, everything you build on it, if one part of the foundation is sinking, when you buy a house, what do you look at? The foundation. You have a building inspector go look at it. Why? Because the house might look good, but the foundation's bad. You don't buy that house. It's cracked. It's leaking. It's sinking. You need to jack it up, blow it up. Ah, stay away. Nothing solid can be built on a bad foundation. So this is about foundations here, but you did not learn Christ this way. What would constitute a bad foundation for someone, uh, you know, coming into, uh, uh, you know, spirituality? Well, here's some bad foundations. One is wrong ideas about Jesus. You know, the primary bad foundations you're going to find in all cults and false religions is their Christology. That's what they believe about Jesus. Christology is the study, uh, the theological study of who Jesus is. And listen, if you get Jesus wrong, your foundation is cracked, sinking, and, it, and you can't build anything solid on it. Jesus wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a sage teacher. He, he wasn't just, you know, someone who was confused and, and had some good spiritual ideas, but then they killed him. No, Jesus was and is the only begotten son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the savior of the world. He's the only way, amen? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's who he is. A bad foundation is wrong thinking about Jesus. Another example of a bad foundation is wrong motives about being a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian because it's cultural, or I'm a Christian because my family's always been Christians. You, you meet people, well, why do you go to this particular church? We're supposed to go to that church. When the, I was born, the doctor slapped me, and they sent me to that church. You can't be a cultural Christian. You can't be a Christian because it's, you know, your family heritage. You, 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 you can't be a Christian just because you, you want a sense of community. Or some people come to the church just because they, they, they want a sense of family that they never had. Now, all of these things are benefits of the church, but they're not the motive for us coming to church. Well, I, I come to church and I want to be a Christian because I don't want to go to hell because I don't like hot places. No, that's the wrong motive to come to church. The wrong motive is a bad foundation, and you can't build anything on a bad foundation. How about wrong views about salvation? Some people think you got to earn it. you got to be a religious rule keeper. You have to restrain yourself or not enjoy life or deny yourself of certain things. Or, or some people have this idea of cheap grace. Well, I can just do whatever I want. You see, wrong ideas about salvation uh, constitute a bad foundation. Did that just rhyme? I think it did. Some, I hope they recorded that. So these are examples of bad foundation. We have to come and we have to learn the truth about Jesus, but you did not learn Christ this way. We were brought into relationship with Jesus because we were drawn to him by the Holy Spirit. 
you know the Holy Spirit was wooing you, drawing you, putting people in your way, putting thoughts in your heart, dropping the things in your mind. Uh, you know, you, uh, people have all kinds of testimonies of how God got their attention, amen? And then it's exciting to see, but why, why does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit pursues us. We were brought into relationship because the Holy Spirit drew us. He convicted us of our sin. He brought us to uh, the place of repentance. You know, repentance is a spiritual gift. You and I can't repent without the grace of God and without the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're back to the Gentiles. We're dark and we're, we're, we're in the vanity of our own thinking. And man doesn't think he needs to repent. He thinks he's doing just fine. Look at our culture. We don't need God. We, we don't need the church. We, we have science. We have our own, you know, ideas about morality. We could just, we, we could just push God out of it. Sad, isn't it? Darkness. That whole idea and concept of being estranged from God. So... We were saved by the Holy Spirit, brought into the, a place where we saw the light. We were convicted, we repented, and then we were converted. And all of this is by the grace of God. Now, what we should have learned after that happened is the basic doctrines of the church. Amen? No? You don't agree? Come on, somebody say something. We need to learn the basics once we get saved. Amen? The Bible calls the, the basics of the New Testament church, the apostles' doctrine. Listen to Acts 2.42. And they continued, who's they? The early church, the new converts who were drawn by the Holy Spirit, convicted of their sin, repented and received Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's who they were. And they continued steadfastly, what? In the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. So these were the basic foundations of the early church, and they're still the foundations of the New Testament church. So the apostles' doctrine, you say, well, well what is that? The apostles' doctrine is basically the New Testament scriptures that teach us the theology of the new covenant. The apostles, all of them, especially the apostle Paul, was used to lay out all the sound and solid doctrine of the New Testament. When you read these epistles, these letters to the early church, what's in there is the divinely inspired theology of God describing the meets and bounds of the new covenant in a way that we can apply them to our daily living. Whew, that was good. I'm going to just quit there. I'm going to go out on a high note. I'm telling you that this whole idea of the apostles' doctrine, it's the, it's the New Testament theology. You know, it talks about the basics of the faith, and we learn that in the epistles. Um, all of us need to hold fast to the things we learned in the beginning. Uh, you know, and look what it says here. These are some of the things, the apostles' doctrine, so that's solid theology and fellowship. You know, the Bible says not to neglect our fellowship, amen, so much more as we see the day approaching. You know, we have people who are too busy for church now, but still say, well, I'm, I'm Christian, I'm spiritual. But God said, you know what, you got to be part of the body, amen, to function and to grow and to, and to reach your potential. So, you know, there's all of these things in here, fellowship, the breaking of bread, that's that, you know, communing together uh, and in prayer. So these are the basics of the faith, and we have to maintain the basics of faith because that's what we learned about Jesus in the beginning, and that's what saved us. 
No matter how much we grow, no matter how much we expand our knowledge, no matter how many scriptures we learn and memorize and can quote, we can never throw away the basic foundations of the church. I've shared this before, but I need to say it again. I, I met a person one time who had been saved a long time, and they told me, well, you know what, I don't, I don't read the Bible anymore. I've read it so many times, I, I got it. And they said, I don't, I don't pray anymore either. And they listed off a whole bunch of things that they didn't do anymore, and it wasn't too long after that that they fell uh, in a way that they fell away from God. And their faith was shattered. And I never forgot that as a young man looking at, you know, the things that they had just told me they quit doing and, and as if they didn't need to do them anymore, finally caught up with them. Never stop doing the basics. Never stop having your devotions. Never stop reading the word. Never stop praying. Never stop coming to church, amen? Uh, these things don't save us, but they insulate us from, from, you know, having the enemy attack us in a way that, you know, diminishes what God is doing in our lives. So it's the basics, and we continue doing them. Verse 21 continues testing the validity of our spiritual foundation. That's what's going on here in 21. If indeed you have heard him, what's that all about? Well, it's testing the validity of our spiritual foundation. Pause. He's, he's asking here, he says, if you have indeed heard him and have been taught in him, do you notice that in there? Listen to the wording very carefully in verse 21. It's loaded. If indeed you have heard heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. So 21, just kind of testing the foundations there to see if our faith is valid. You know why? Because we have had to hear him and we've had to be taught in him and all of this truth comes through Jesus. 21 highlights the more personal components of our faith that bring validity to our own spiritual foundation. So understand, when it says, you know, you did not learn Christ in this way, that's one level here. But 21 goes a little deeper. Indeed, if you heard him and have been taught in him. See, that's more personal because, you know, uh, we could hear about Jesus or we could hear a testimony where someone says, you know, Jesus said this to me or God showed me this. But when we hear him ourselves... Come on, Wednesday night, when he speaks to us, one word from the Lord can change your life forever. But there's people who say, well, I know about Jesus, but I've never heard him. You know, and, and I'm not saying you're, you're going to hear an audible voice, but when he speaks to your heart, amen? See, it's a, that's a personal thing. Once you've experienced that, once God speaks to you, once the Holy Spirit drops something in your heart, once you know that you know that you know that he heard your prayer and he answered your prayer and he moved on your behalf, nobody can take that away from you. It, it becomes personal to us. So we have to hear him personally. It's an important thing for us to understand. Yes, we are to be taught by sitting under the fivefold ministry gifts and we should know the foundational basics of the faith but if all we have is a head knowledge about god if all we have is a head knowledge about the doctrine of christianity and no personal connection to jesus something is wrong well i heard about him well i i memorized some theology but have you heard him has he spoken to you because you know once you connect with him on that level it seals the deal because it's a personal relationship with Jesus that saves us. There are two very personal components in the text here. If indeed you have heard him 
And then, you know, we're going to look at that. Uh, basically, you know, that personal connection. Hearing Jesus, hearing God is as personal as it gets. Now, it's not if your parents heard him or if your pastor heard him. Thank God, pastor heard from the Lord and he preaches the message and it was a lot of fun. You know, and some people settle for that. And they come to church and they hope that the pastor heard something or at least he's not too long. And then, you know, if it's good, it's a blessing. But, you know, it's not if somebody else heard him or your pastor heard him or your family or your friends heard him. It's, it's that you heard him yourself. Listen to John 10, 26. But, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Jesus is talking to the religious crowd. He's saying, you know, you guys... You guys don't believe anything I say. And then he tells him, you're not my sheep. As I said to you, listen to verse 27 of John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. See the byproduct of hearing on a personal level? My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep do what I tell them to do. These are the marks of genuine Christianity, and it's very personal. It's not just, you know, what others heard or, or what you heard about. It's that personal connection. Listen, secondhand information may help you in life, but second, and secondhand smoke can kill you, but a secondhand relationship with Jesus can't save you. Understand that. There are certain things where you can deal with it secondhand, okay? You know, you learn some information, you, somebody told you something and, and you got it, or somebody learned something the hard way and you learned from them. Ever, anyone ever try that? You know, you don't have to learn everything the hard way yourself, right? You can learn from other people. So that's secondhand. But secondhand faith, no such thing. Secondhand salvation, no such thing. It's got to be that indeed you have heard him and it's a personal thing. And then it says, and have been taught in him. Notice there's a very subtle point in that statement. And it's not that we've just been taught. It's that we've been taught in him. Did you hear that? Because there again, follow me on this. You can know facts about God. You can know things about theology. But if you've been taught in him, that means your spirit is alive and receptive when you're being taught. That's very important in him. What does that suggest? It, it suggests that we're born again and that we're in Christ. How many understand, and, and we can all probably testify to this, before we surrendered ourselves to Jesus, a lot of things in the Bible didn't make sense to us. Why? Because we weren't in him. Before we came to Jesus, a lot of things about morality just didn't add up. Seemed like, it, you know, that, that doesn't feel right to me. Why? Why? Because we weren't in him. But the minute we became born again and we were in Christ and we were in him, now the word of God comes alive to us and it makes good sense to us. And, it, and even though it grates against our flesh, we go, yeah, that's right. My flesh is wrong, but this is right. Come on, that's about being in him. Now, I know this is the Wednesday Night Meteors Club, and you're all high-level Christians, saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. But, you know, share this with some of the people that don't come on Wednesday night, those sinners that only come every other Sunday. You know, I'm saying that to say that, you know, I'm, I know in, in a sense I'm preaching to the choir, but we need to understand what's here so we can communicate it to others, amen? 
You know, there's a lot of Christians that don't understand the concept of being in him, and they see a, a friend or a family member or a coworker, and they're like, well, they're a good person. They're saved. And no, you're not saved until you're in him. And some of us are trying to teach deep theological things to people who are not in him, and they don't get it. And they argue with us, and they come up with annoying questions, and they waste time. We've got to focus on getting people in Christ before we start teaching them, you know, the deep mysteries of the faith. Well, let's talk about the book of Revelation. Let's talk about the seven horns on the tent. No, don't talk about that. Talk about Jesus offering the free gift of eternal life to anyone who believes the simplicity of the gospel to those who are not in him. But we are in him. And so when we're taught now, all those spiritual truths come alive to us. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Listen, knowledge puffs up. And that word puffs up there, it can literally be translated makes arrogant. So, so read it like this. Knowledge just makes us arrogant, but love edifies, that's builds up. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows Nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So there again, it's not knowledge. It's not just being taught. It's not just knowing theological facts. Why? Because all that does is puff us up. It's being taught in him. Got to get this. There are a lot of people who sit in church because they, they, they want to know stuff. They want to know truth, and they want to be able to use the truth like a hammer or a sword or, or whatever they need to use it, you know, at the time, and they're really not there for the right reason. You know, we need to let God teach us out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If all we're doing is being taught because we want to gain knowledge, that's going to puff us up, and we're going to become arrogant, have you ever seen Christians that are just arrogant? Seen pictures, heard stories? Yeah, it's, it's an ugly thing to see, isn't it? They look down on others. They look down on the lost. They talk about, I'm redeemed, and they look down on it. I've seen some of that. Not much, but every once in a while, and boy, it, it's, it stinks. And what does that come from? That comes from, you know, being taught knowledge, and puffing yourself up with knowledge, but not being taught in him. The last part of verse 21 is a profound and powerful truth. It says that uh, just as truth is in Jesus. Did you catch that? So let me, let me read it in context. Indeed, you have heard him. So there's that personal connection and have been taught in him. So we're learning uh, out of relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, just as the truth is in Jesus. This is a great reminder to us that all truth comes from Jesus. Amen. And so it doesn't come from the TV show or Dr. Phil. It doesn't come from the, you know, the psychologist or the psychiatrist or the guy who gives you your pills that make you happy and feel good. And No, it, truth comes from Jesus. Man tries to medicate and he tries to explain away and he tries to excuse all kinds of things that only God can heal. That, that, that once the truth comes from Jesus, that healing that happens, body, soul, and spirit, is the thing that restores us, amen? Thank God that truth is in Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. So we've made it through a couple verses here. Verse 22 through 24, I'm going to read to you again, and then we're going to hit a couple concepts out of there. Remember uh, what I had said to you. This is loaded with a lot of aspects of our change that takes place when we're in Christ. And there are four phrases that I'm going to pull out, and then we're going to discuss each one of those phrases conceptually. Listen, and, and I'll point them out to you as we go through. That in reference to your former way of life, say former, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, say old self, which is being corrupted in accordance to the lust of deceit, that you are to be renewed, say renewed, in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, say new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. So it's the former way of life, the old self, renewed and new self. Those are the four concepts that are in there and they have to do with our Christian walk and the changes that take place in us. So the first one is the former way of life. All of us have an unsaved past. None of us were born saved. Oh, no, no, Pastor. I, I answered an altar call in the womb. I came out. They baptized me on the way out, and I was speaking in tongues, and I've been saved from the moment of conception. No, no one's been saved from the moment of conception. All of us have an unsaved past. Some of us have a long one. Some of us have a short one. Some of us were saved as children. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. But some of us took decades and it took a while but all of us have an unsaved past you say pastor why are you making that point because that unsaved past is our former way of life and that's the thing that we need to understand this former way of life uh, is something that all of us have i can say that with complete confidence because we are not born saved we're born in original sin and we have to come to christ uh, and we have to acknowledge our sin and receive him and, and you know the whole deal on that so this former way of life is something that we have to deal with on certain levels now even on the other side of the cross when we're saved that former way of life often introduces baggage in our life don't raise your hand but anybody have baggage yeah some people couldn't help but raise their hand i didn't say all of us have baggage right you, you ever see somebody with too much baggage you ever seen me in the airport I remember going through the airport with so much baggage. There's time when we would go to Saskatchewan to see Kim's family with the kids. There were times I had like three or four duffel bags slung across me, two luggage things, and I'm running like a mule, and, and we're, we're trying to get on the f flight, and I, I just will never forget how encumbered I felt with all that baggage. When I travel by myself, I like carry my wallet through the airport like this. Right, just by myself. But baggage will weigh you down. Baggage will wear you out. And the thing is that all of us, because of the former life, have some baggage to deal with. Some of us have emotional baggage, spiritual baggage, mental baggage, whatever baggage it is, we have to deal with the former way of life. That's something that needs to change when we come to Jesus. What does that mean? That means we have to deal with our baggage. Some people have been saved a long time and still won't deal with their baggage. And you know what? when you carry baggage for a long time, it, it, it makes you a little sour. It makes you a little grouchy. It, it makes you a little hard to deal with. Oh, this must be hitting the mark. I'm not getting any traction here. Nobody will even look at me. So the former way of life 
is something that all of us have to deal with. If we've got things from our past that are trying to creep into our present, if we've got things, the old patterns, the old habits, the old nature, the old man trying to infiltrate and, and, get, and get his way back into you know, our daily walk, it's something we have to deal with. Now, the second concept is the old self. So, you know, these kind of work hand in hand here. The old, the, the former life was the life that was the old self. You say, well, you know, you know I, maybe I got saved as a child. I don't have much to deal with. All of us have some stuff to deal with. Did you grow up in a home with other people? You have baggage because people are dysfunctional. Families are dysfunctional. And so we deal with the old self. The old self is from our fallen nature. It's that spiritual nature. Even if we were saved as children, we still have that what? Spiritual nature that is in our spiritual DNA. Why? Because it's a sin nature. You know, nobody has to teach us how to sin. Nobody has to coach us on how to have a bad attitude. Anybody? I never had a bad attitude coach. Now, Rick, you're too positive. You need to let that go. Crinkle up your face like this and be judgmental and, and stop. No. It's that sin nature. Instantly, automatically, we know how to do these things. Why? Because it's in our spiritual DNA. Even on the other side of the cross, we've got to contend with the old nature. So don't hide it. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't get religious about it. Just say, God, I need to deal with this issue in my heart because my spiritual dna the 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 old self that old nature that i i tried to put to death that we were trying to crucify every day that we tried to drown him in the waters of baptism but he's still around you know maybe we'll hold you under longer the next time I, i don't know but all of us have patterns and ideas and appetites it goes along with that baggage and it comes Uh, you know, from the old nature. It clashes with our new nature that we have in Christ. And, you know, that's what backsliding is all about. That's what the idea of backsliding is. What? The enemy wants to drag us backwards into, uh, you know, our default setting of our spiritual DNA, which is just to live for the flesh and please the flesh and do fleshly stuff. Then we're back in the darkness. Then we're back in ignorance. Then we're back with this, you know, convoluted mind that the Gentiles struggle with. And God doesn't want us to go backwards. But, you know, if we can be drugged backwards by our old self, back into the former way of life, it it makes, uh, you know, it it stops our Christian growth dead in its tracks. Number three, the third concept I want to talk about is it says renewed here. And basically, this is the concept of renewal. And and that's all about the change here. This speaks... Uh, uh, when it says renewed, it's speaking of the idea of renewal, which is us being made brand new by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know positionally you are, when you come to Jesus and are born again, positionally when he looks at you because how the blood washes you, you are brand new, perfect, spotless, and sinless in God's eyes. That's good news tonight. Come on, Wednesday night, wake up. Don't faint on me now, amen. Uh, renewal amen we're we're, something changed in us positionally christ uh, you know in us the hope of glory the blood of the lamb cleansing us from sin god looks at us and says they're righteous that's a good thing amen so this renewal that needs to take place in us is not a one-time deal it's a it's a constant process and the bible describes it as the process of sanctification 
Yes, positionally, God sees me as forgiven and my sins dealt with. Why? Because I'm in Christ. But, you know, I still struggle with sin. I still have some baggage. I still have the old nature to contend with. I still have the former way of life. Hello. See how this all works together? And so we need to be renewed day by day. Day by day, we come to him and we commune with him and connect with him. We carry our cross and we nail the old nature to the cross. Amen. That's what that's all about. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us that it's a, a gradual day by day process. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That old nature, that old sinful nature and our flesh is dying every day. But our spiritual nature is getting healthier and stronger and better. And someday, amen, someday we're going to shed this body of sin and we're going to leave it behind and we're going to fall into the arms of Jesus, amen. And then it'll be, it'll be complete. The sanctification process will be complete the work of salvation in our life will be complete until that day you say well am i am i incomplete no you're in process you're like a house that's under construction be patient you want it to look nice you can't rush but just slap the paint on there hurry up god takes his time with us because he's making a masterpiece how does he do that he's renewing us you say, Pastor, you need to hang out with me. I'm falling apart. I'm going backwards. I'm going the other way. My house, is, my house is falling apart. No, that's your exterior. Your interior, your spiritual man is growing stronger, whether you notice it or not. Listen, you say, well, Pastor, how do you know that? Because God said that he will perfect what concerns us. Amen that he's not going to just save us and leave us half done. No, he's going to finish the work that he begun in each of us tonight. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? Because the slow process, the slow changes, the stubborn things that don't seem to ever get fixed, God's working on them. Renewal has to take place daily. And listen, it all also takes place in a specific place, in the spirit of what? Your minds. Notice what God has to renew is our thought process. Oh, God, just, just fix my exterior, or just fix the way I talk, or just fix my, you know, just fix the way, you know, people see me. No, I, he's got to fix our minds. Our minds need to be renewed. You say, well, how, how do you get your mind renewed? The word of God is what renews our mind, amen? The more we read it, the more we feast on it, the more we memorize it, the more we apply it to our lives, the more it renews us. Well, I only got one more left, and it's the new self. So we're, we forsake the former way. We forsake the old self. We embrace renewal. And then what? We begin to focus on what God is doing us, and what he's producing is the new self. The new self looks like Jesus. You say, Pastor, how, how do I know if I'm growing spiritually? We begin to look more like Jesus, sound more like Jesus, think more like Jesus. That's the test. It says, the new self, look, and then it says, which is the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So, you know, it's us being conformed to the image of Christ. 
Christ reflects the glory of the Father. We begin to look like God. We begin to be godly. We begin to look more like Jesus, and it's a process. But in the end result is a new self. So if you look at yourself and you don't like things about yourself and you would like to change some things about yourself, the good news is that God is doing that in us because he's committed to loving us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. I have 17 more pages, but that's all. No, I'm just kidding. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you tonight for the word. I thank you, Lord God, that in the middle of the week we can get a dose of the word, Lord God, to fill us up and charge us up and breathe life into us. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice tonight that, Lord, uh, we would catch hold of what you're doing in us, Lord. We would see that change is taking place in us. We would understand these concepts of the old nature and the old self, and we would embrace renewal. Father, all of these things that we talked about tonight, Lord, uh, drive them deep into our hearts, quicken our minds, Lord God, renew our minds, Lord, so that we would cooperate with the process of being transformed into the image of Christ. Thank you for Ephesians and all the treasures that are in here that we get to enjoy together. I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well.